0: Includes in store clearance.
1: Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy! They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & More.
2: Welcome, everyone, to a special NBA Finals preview edition of the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Teporek, and joining me today, as always, is Sarah Chalea. How's it going, Sarah?
1: It's going well, Brian. We got, I don't know, torrential downpours in Texas these days, but other than that, yeah, I'm staying high and dry, so it's good.
2: That's always good to hear. Our, uh, our third co-host, Morton Jensen, is unable to join us today. He is...
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: ...review Andre Drummond this weekend, so we will hopefully get a good story time with Uncle Mort next time <laughs> around. In the meantime, we've got a great show for you today. We are going to dive deep into the NBA Finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors. But before we do that, Sarah, we have to say goodbye to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Who fought valiantly in the Western Conference Finals. They had a 3 1 lead uh, after game four, but Golden State came roaring back, heart of a champion, won three straight games, sent the Thunder packing for the summer. So, the first thing I want to address, and I'm really, I want to hear what you have to say, because I don't hate to bring this up, but they did vanquish your beloved Spurs. <laughs> There's been this narrative that the Thunder choked. In this series, because they were up three-one, they should have closed it out. Because they didn't, they choked. Do you buy into that at all?
1: Not at all. <laughs> it's it's incredibly stupid, in my opinion. But yeah, uh, I mean, I think you can say, okay, yeah, they they probably got a little tight at the end of game six. Mm. I think that's fair uh, to say that they choked the series that they were not expected to win after they beat the Spurs, who they were not expected to beat. For most people, no, I can't. I can't call that choking. So, um, yeah, it's rough to be up three-one, but there's no guarantees that you're going to close it out. Even then, especially against what many are calling the greatest single-season team in history, and and that's a fair thing to say too, considering what they did. So, yeah, I, I assume you you feel the same.
2: Yeah, I'm right yeah. with you. I think if you told people before the playoffs started that the Thunder would get to Game 7 of the Conference Finals against the Warriors, what Thunder fan wouldn't take that? No yeah. one expected them to beat the Spurs, as you said, much less get even to, like, a Game 5 against the Warriors. The Warriors lost nine games all regular season. They, they had not dropped... I think they, they hadn't dropped two straight at any point, mm-hmm. they, right? So the fact that the Thunder won back-to-back Games 3 and 4... Not to mention how resoundingly they did that. I mean, it was it was jarring to see a team do that to the Warriors, because the Warriors are usually the ones who do that to their opponents. Right. So I think, you know, you said it. They did get a little tight at the end of Game 6. They had a lot of careless turnovers at the end. But I think a large part of it is that the, the Warriors they just started hitting the shots that they always hit mm-hmm. and they're they're not good shots for any other team or even <laughs> any other player but like clay thompson hit 11 three pointers in game 6 and some of those were like off the dribble off balance like fade away shots that just have no business going in and he nailed them every time and then you know steph finally got going at the end of game 6 that carried over into game 7 right i mean I just feel, I feel so bad for poor Steven Adams, because he played so damn well the whole series, yep. but in the second half of Game 7, they abused him. They absolutely abused him whenever he switched on to one of those guards. Yeah, And that's, I mean, you, if you're OKC, you like that matchup, because that's what you had been succeeding with the whole series. He's got the length to contest, he's not, like, he's not slow-footed, he can kind of stick with Steph and force him into these contested threes, but... Sometimes you know these guys. That's what they do. They hit these insane shots. So
1: And did he not block Steph's shot like twice earlier in the series too? I, yeah, yeah he, he played it as well as anybody could.
2: Right. Exactly. Just, like you said,
1: they started to hit those shots in the last yeah. two games, especially Steph in Game Seven. So
2: right. Yeah. I mean, I I I'm glad that we are on the same page. Anyone who says the Thunder choked, stop. They had a great <laughs> season. Unreal. I mean, the, the fact they pushed the Warriors to the brink is a huge credit to them. Um, and, yeah, I just think, I mean, it's the binary nature of sports. Someone has to lose, but that's about the winningest way you can lose, aside from actually you know, winning. <laughs> right. Um, it does beg the question, though. So now that the Thunder are done for the year, the attention turns to Kevin Durant, who is an unrestricted free agent. The stories about his next destination have already started popping up. Do you think he should return to OKC, or is it time for him to take his talents elsewhere?
1: You know, before that series, I probably would have said, at least at least explore a little bit. Um, after that, I just, I don't see how he can think he has a better chance anywhere else. Um, what it would come down to, and I think he said, "What's most important to him is enjoying the people that he's around every day, and mm-hmm. and the culture, and and being around people who, who want to win and work towards getting better and winning." Right. Uh, if he feels like he has that there, and certainly it looks like he does, then I don't see why why he should leave. Not at all. Yeah. And Morton yeah. mentioned that, and <laughs> he thought it was a surprising thing. And, and oh, right. we were like, "No, I think I think we're all." look in that direction now because i mean this was going to be a lot more fun this summer until the warriors and the thunder had such a great series but we got a great series out of it so i won't complain
2: that's true yeah Morton's sizzling cold take <laughs> the one, uh, that this series is going to entice KD to return yeah i think he's right and i think you're right i mean i don't think he signs a long-term deal there There's been a lot written about how the one-and-one route is the way to go, uh, because Westbrook and Ibaka are both free agents after 2017. As well, I believe Steven Adams will be a restricted free agent if he doesn't sign a contract extension this summer. So it's basically, the entire Thunder Corps could be up for grabs next summer, so that, I mean that will be a lot more decisive over whether he stays in OKC for the next five years or if he takes his talents elsewhere. But, yeah, I mean, you said it. Like, what team can he possibly join that he'll have a better chance of winning a title than the Thunder? I mean, you could say the Warriors, but I don't get the sense that he's in the ring-chasing mode quite yet. Like, Mm -hmm. I think he wants to be one of the primary focuses of his team, and I think he's... I, I mean, I think this... Falling short like this is only going to further motivate him to come back to OKC, give it one more shot, and then see what happens after 2016-17. So since we're agreed that KD is not going elsewhere, what else do you want to see the Thunder do this offseason to improve their chances of winning a title?
1: Honestly, not a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think the easy answer is to possibly bring in a little more shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't want them to, some people are talking about, you know, trying to move Andre. Now I'm, I'm going to say Roberson.
2: Yeah. How do you say that? I have no idea. Is it Roberson or Roberson?
1: Uh, This is going to sound like a name drop or something stupid, but I'm pretty sure I played against his sister in high school and and we always said Roberson but now okay. i hear everyone saying roberson so i'm thinking that must be right but it always sticks in my head as roberson so if i <laughs> if i'm inconsistent i'm sorry um yeah she, by the way she was like in the same mold as him very long oh, really? very athletic the whole family is yeah oh gosh. very athletic and talented but anyway <laughs> so andre roberson <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think they should give up on him at all i think you got to mm-hmm. love the defense that he brings I think yep. stick him in the gym this summer. Try to see if you can't get him proficient at at least the corner three by next yep. year. That, that would be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe look at bringing in, yeah, somebody else who can relieve the pressure out there a little bit. Uh, but I think they have something. And, and Billy Donovan talked about that uh, after Game 7. He's like, you know, it was his first year, obviously. Right. He, he's What he's looking at is how do we... Build on what we did in this postseason. Um, how do we get more consistent with the things that we found that work? And I think that's the biggest thing for them. You know, the the Westbrook Adams pick and roll is great. Even a Durant Adams pick and roll. Uh, understand that you need to own the glass every night and that that's going to be huge for you. Um, push pays. I think we talked about this on, on Twitter as well. Uh, the, the Westbrook... Mid-range pull-up, I think, is actually right now like his best weapon. So get to that more often. And you can do that off the pick and roll. Um, mm-hmm. So things like that, really. Just try to get more consistent at playing the way that you played in the postseason, where you're not giving away games in the regular season, and, and figure out how to close consistently a little better. Yeah. What are we going to yeah. do when the game gets tight and it gets close and there's a few minutes left? What are we going to do? That right. That, to me, is the most important thing for them.
2: Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, well, I'm gonna save my Billy Donovan praise for a little later in this podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh but I'm glad you brought him up, though. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're right in that they don't need to make wholesale adjustments. I mean, most of their team is coming back as is. I think Dion Waiters is the big piece that could be leaving. He is a restricted free agent, and you got to figure that. You know he kind of fell off at the end there, but for most of the playoffs he played extremely well. So you got to figure he earned himself some money and might get priced out of OKC's price range. Um, so if he does leave, you got to figure out how to fill that hole, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's with an incumbent player like Anthony Morrow, or you know a cheap free agent addition. Um, I think it was CBS Sports Matt Moore who mentioned Eric Gordon as a possible target. Mm-hmm. Maybe sign him to like the mid-level exception, and I, I mean that's if if Eric Gordon agrees to that, by all means, like that that would be an insane value. Um, I think he also mentioned Ty Lawson as a possible candidate to go there. I, I want to say they he played with KD in high school or something. Hmm. This is all coming from Matt Moore, so go search his Twitter feed <laughs> uh, <laughs> for that kind of stuff. I think backup point guard is definitely an area of need. Um, Randy Foy was kind of the guy they turned to to fill that role, and he was not super consistent in that regard. Yeah. Um, developing Cameron Payne will be really big for Donovan. Mm-hmm. It really seemed like he lost trust in Payne for most—I mean, most of the postseason. Um, so, seeing what he becomes will be—I think—that's kind of the swing X factor for them. Uh, agree with you that you don't give up on Robertson. Roberson, however you say it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, the defense is just so good, and you don't need someone to be ball dominant next to Westbrook and KD. Like You want someone who's just going to stand in the corner and hit corner threes. I hope we see OKC right back near the top. Knock on wood, they will avoid any more serious injuries that have plagued them over the past couple of years, Um, and we'll see them right back here next year battling the Spurs and the Warriors for Western Conference Supremacy. In the meantime, it is time to switch over to the finals, which start tonight. We are recording this on a Thursday. Uh, game one is tonight. We get Warriors at home against the Cavs. I've written a bunch about this series over the past couple days, so my brain is kind of set a couple uh, key matchups. But, Sarah, I want to hear from you. Which is the biggest one you're watching tonight?
1: The biggest one I'm watching tonight, I would say what I really want to see, more than even just matchups, although I will get to that in a sec, would be I want to see how everyone's questioning how are Irving and Love going to defend. Mm -hmm. And that that would probably be my biggest question mark right now. If they can hang tough at all. And maybe they can make this difficult, uh, especially if they keep shooting as a team, the Cavaliers like to have been. Uh, but if those guys can't plug up some holes, then it's going to possibly get pretty ugly. Um, matchups, I, I don't know that we're even going to see this, or if we'll see it for any significant amount of time, but I really just want to see Draymond and LeBron matched up yeah. at the 5 together. Yeah.
2: Oh, at the 5. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like
1: that that is I think I mentioned that a while back yeah. like as possible crazy talk, but I do I really do want to see it. So <laughs> no, I, I hope it happens. I don't
2: think that's crazy talk though. I mean, I that's the the, the love thing I'm glad you brought up. Uh, I wrote a thing at FanSided like the second the Western Conference Finals ended Monday night, <laughs> I immediately was like, "Oh my god, poor Kevin Love." And just went back and dove into the footage of their two regular season games. Worth noting, both of those came with David Blatt at the helm instead of Tyron Lue, mm-hmm. so we don't know. Nothing from those two matchups is necessarily indicative of how the Cavs are going to play the Warriors this time. But right. holy hell, they just relentlessly targeted him in pick and rolls. Like, it was, it was just so bad. I felt so bad for him because whenever they switched, it was game over, like. Curry either got around the screen and then Love was like scrambling with his arms up but Curry was mm-hmm. just draining a three in his face or Clay Thompson would run around the screen and Kevin Love would be scrambling with his arms up and Clay would just drive right past him right to the basket and score an easy two or draw a foul or something. So yeah, that doesn't seem... I don't see how you could put Kevin Love on Draymond Green. I don't think you do that if you're the Cavs. I think you either... Mm-hmm. You put him on Bogut or Azealy, which presents its own problems. Um, I looked this up today. Of the, I think it was 77 players, somewhere around 70 players have faced at least 20 field goal attempts at the rim throughout the postseason. He is allowing the fourth highest field goal percentage, somewhere around 65%. Mm -hmm. So that presents its own problems. You don't want Kevin Love as your last line of defense, which he's going to be if uh, Bogut and Azili are, are your main guys that he's guarding. Um, the only other option is really put him on Harrison Barnes or Andre Iguodala, but mm-hmm. Iggy's such a good playmaker that he's presenting a lot of the same pick-and-roll problems as Green does, and then Barnes, that's probably your best option because he's so often an afterthought in Golden State's offense, but like mm-hmm. he's still really athletic. I mean, he can get to the rim... You know, if he catches the ball off the bounce and just drives right to the basket, I don't think Kevin Love keeps up with him, and that's an easy dunk right there. Or he's, you know, he, he's a pretty decent three-point shooter as well. So there are no good options right. with Kevin Love. And I, I have to wonder how long he stays in the starting lineup or even stays relevant in the series. I mean, maybe you play him against your bench guys, but... I think there's a lot of drama that comes from Benching mm-hmm. Kevin Love based on how much yeah. you paid him and like that's obviously going to be a huge media focus. So I'm right with you. That's the one that's the one I'm most curious about because I think if they can't figure out what to do with Love, it's going to be a pretty quick series. I want to turn to X-Factors now. Who would you say is the X Factor for why don't you do Golden State? I'll do Cleveland,
1: <laughs> okay? Because I had Cleveland in mind. <laughs> oh, you, all right,
2: you do Cleveland, I'll do Golden State. That's fine. All right, all
1: right, cool. Uh, no, it's, it's funny because I it's kind of ridiculous to say X Factor for this guy because he's not what we would traditionally call an X Factor, but I think Kyrie is really important to yeah. the series. Um, I feel like you gotta have the guy who's super aggressive the guy who torched San Antonio two years ago that's important I almost want to see LeBron in more of like a Draymond role yeah. in this series like kind of facilitator obviously he's still got a score but let's let Kyrie kind of run the show a little bit and see what happens um have him bomb and have jr bombing have have LeBron as kind of the pressure release to to attack the vulnerabilities in the defense um, if we're going to a more traditional X-Factor, I would say I think Schumpert yep. could be big, yep. uh, especially if he can hit his shots and bring the defense that he's known for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that gives them a lot more versatility, a lot more options.
2: Yeah. So
1: that's, that's what I would go with. I'm
2: right with you. He was the guy I had in mind. Him and okay, great. Him <laughs> and Because mm-hmm. So my my theory is... That they're going to play Delhi a lot more if they do cut back on Kevin's minutes. Uh they'll play Delhi a lot more and they'll put him on uh Curry and then James on Draymond. So, mm-hmm. I mean if they stay if they don't switch, like Delhi had that that one and a half games last year in the finals where he was the Curry stopper, quote unquote. Right. Uh so he's at least proven that he can frustrate Curry and I think OKC okay, prove that the way you're never going to stop Stephen curry but the way that you make him less efficient than he usually is is to get physical with him and that's Mm -hmm. that's what delhi does that he's just a little pest like that's that's delhi's game so if they stay true to their normal matchups that works out and james i mean james is draymond basically so like that's a perfect matchup there and then if they switch James has the length, the athleticism, the foot speed. He can stay with Curry, and if Delhi and Green are on each other, there is a hundred percent chance Delhi goes <laughs> Draymond into a flagrant foul and gets him suspended <laughs> for a game. Right?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty good chance. Like, that, I mean, I mean, we thought Adams would. Yeah, and it, I mean, to
2: be very, probably <laughs> <he> should have <laughs> earned.
1: I mean, he did get some flagrants, right. so he should have probably earned a suspension. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's probably gonna happen.
2: Yeah. I, I just don't see any way that, I mean, Dre just talks so much and Delhi seems like, I don't know if he talks a lot of trash or if he just like, it's just so physical and annoying that he just gets under opponent's skin. But yeah, I I, I'm, I think that's kind of the best way that they can negate that Curry greed pick and roll is Delhi and LeBron. Uh, X-Factors for Golden State. I mean, Iguodala is too obvious, right? He, yeah, yeah, but not
1: really. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
2: so I'm like, you know, he was the finals MVP last year. He played. He just makes life difficult on LeBron, which is obviously the first key to beating any LeBron led team, is just don't let him get comfortable. Um, I think the way Golden State is built, they have so many guys they can throw at Braun. Mm-hmm. They have Iggy, they have Green, they have Clay Thompson, they have Harrison Barnes, that. If any one of those guys starts to struggle, or if Braun starts getting comfortable, like they could just change up their looks so much that I don't think Braun's ever going to get fully, like just dominate this series like he did last year. So I think that versatility, if that that counts, could be an X factor. I mean, Max contract Harry Barnes, you know, <laughs> if he, he's been. We talked about it last time. Like, he has just been so disappointing in these playoffs. Like, he's really had a chance to earn that max contract, first of all, but just emerge as a nice complimentary threat to the Splash Brothers. And he really has just been such a non-factor throughout the playoffs, even when Curry was hurt, that, I mean, it's now or never for Harry Barnes. Like, if he can't be a release valve, uh, then I, I just don't know if it's ever going to happen for him. Like, this is the type of talent that, like, he's getting wide open shots. So he's got to knock those down if and when they come. Especially, I mean, I mentioned before, I think you put Love on him. Like, that, they need to exploit that matchup. Whatever Whichever player Love is guarding, they need to be putting in pick-and-rolls constantly. So maybe yes. you run Curry-Barnes pick-and-rolls, and Barnes gets some open mid-range or open three-point shots. So he's he's a guy to keep an eye on. Maurice Spates, there's always a chance mm-hmm. that he gets hot. And, you know, he, he's very inconsistent and <laughs> tends to do some boneheaded things. But then he also hits the occasional three or, like, scores ten points in eight minutes. So right. he could help swing a game. Um, I mean, the benches, I think, are just going to be... that. That's the one place where Cleveland isn't necessarily as screwed as they were last year. Like, they were just so depleted last year that they right. they just had to play such a short rotation. But now you've got guys like, I mean, Shumpert and Delhi if they don't move into the starting lineup, are coming off the bench. Richard Jefferson has played well in the playoffs. Uh, Channing Fry has played well. Whereas the Warriors bench really didn't make that much of an impact in the Thunder series, aside from Inguidala. Like, Sean Livingston and... Barbosa were kind of non-factors. Festus Azili didn't really get going. Spates uh, only toward the end of the series did he really start to make an impact. So, yep. if the if the Warriors can win the battle of the bench, that will be big for them. Um, I mean, both both teams just have so many guys that can get hot and like you know go on these, this like ten point binge that you're not expecting that whichever one of them gets more. I think has a pretty good shot.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
2: (laughs) So I think the big question for Cleveland, aside from how you defend the Curry-Green pick-and-rolls, is the death lineup. How does Cleveland defend the death lineup? Do you have any thoughts?
1: You know, I've been, like, basically just playing, like, what is that, uh, statistics and probabilities? Like, different, um, just throwing all the names on their roster. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) I, I really, there's all kinds of stuff they could try. <laughs> uh, it's like, do you do like Deli Smith, Schumpert, Braun Thompson, mm-hmm. or some other mixture of that? Throw Fry at the four, possibly, LeBron at the five. Uh, but it's interesting because I read the article that you wrote for B-Ball Breakdown talking about, and I agree, that the Cavs need to win the Battle of the Boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very yeah, it's a very interesting um, you know obviously they have to deal with the death lineup and I don't know how well they'll be able to defend it regardless of what lineup they use mm-hmm. but you might want to try to see if you can score with them yeah, or at least close <laughs> right. um, but yeah how much do you sell out for that and give up the potential rebounding edge mm-hmm. is the question because I agree. They have to win that. Um, that was huge for the Thunder. Obviously, they're not quite the Thunder. Right. They don't have a uh, large New Zealander. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, they have Tristan Thompson. I I wouldn't want to take him off the floor very much. As much as I want to see LeBron at the five yeah. a little bit, you need you know how much what balance is right there. You need Thompson on the floor, mm-hmm. obviously. So, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah. I. Now that you mention it. see i think i want to say zach lowe proposed this in his column today um of kyrie delhi shump smith and lebron which in theory i mean that that's has the firepower to stay with the death lineup but as you said that you give up your size advantage right there and that definitely is one of cleveland's biggest strengths against the warriors i mean to beat the Warriors, you need to out-rebound them, and you can't turn the ball over because they are so lethal in transition that if you if you give them those open opportunities, you're going to get buried. Um, the Warriors were, believe they were third in terms of efficiency in transition during the regular season, averaged 1.16 points per possession. They had the fourth most transition opportunities uh i mean a large part of that is because their defense is so good so they force misses grab rebounds push the pace and that's what my the column that you so kindly plugged at (laughs) bballbreakdown.com that was the big thing that i wrote about was especially tristan thompson he's so good at offensive rebounding like he's toward the top of every leaderboard of offensive rebounding in the playoffs. I think he's been top 10 in offensive boards over the past, each of the past four years uh, offensive rebound percentage. He's number three in the playoffs. So not only keeping him on the floor, I mean, it's just like, it's demoralizing if you defend the possession well for 22, 23 seconds, and then they grab an offensive rebound and then you play well again, they grab another offensive rebound. Like after a while that wears down a defense, but it also prevents Golden State from getting out into transition, which that's I mean, Cleveland is going to have enough defensive problems as is with Kyrie and Caleb that if you let them get out transition and uh, they just have so many guys who could rebound and then push the break like Curry can do it, Clay Thompson can do it, Iggy can do it, Draymond can do it, and then they have so many guys who usually if you're running transition it's like all right we're going to do a two on one. We're gonna pass the ball to the guy who's streaking down the court, we're gonna get an easy layup. The Warriors are like, Alright, we're running a transition. Oh, I'm gonna pull up for the twenty six foot three. Like there's just no rhyme or reason to their transition attack, or it's just so different than every other team that it's really gonna be hard for Cleveland to defend. And they to Cleveland's credit, in the playoffs, they have they're tied for the best transition defense. They're only allowing 1.03 points per possession but going against detroit atlanta and, <laughs> and toronto yeah. is a little bit different than the warriors so Just a little so yeah i think i think the one you laid out with uh, the delhi smith shumpert lebron tristan is probably their best bet mm-hmm. um, and then you probably do you put lebron on draymond
1: i think you got to um but I think Zach Lowe also proposed uh, every now and then Shumpert on Draymond, Ooh. which is interesting.
2: Okay. Um,
1: but, yeah, like you said, the, you got to have Thompson on the floor for some manner of time because I think the offensive rebounding is also imperative. Not only, you know, like you said, stop and transition uh, opportunities, but just for the fact that, let's face it, you're probably not going to score more efficiently right. than Golden State you have to get more opportunities yeah. to try to even that up. Yeah. So. It's
2: a really good yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like Tyron Liu made some comments that they're going to try to push the pace on the Warriors, which just seems like I don't know. If they're really trying to outshoot the Warriors in this series, they're going home very s- shortly like that. <laughs> that's not I mean, the way they did it last year was just grind, grind, grind every possession. Like, lower the number of possessions you get, get offensive boards, like, limit the Warriors scoring opportunities. Like, you're not... You don't want to get into a three-point shootout with the Warriors. I know you've been shooting really well in the playoffs, Cleveland, but, like, you don't have the Splash Brothers, so... Uh,
1: Apparently he feels that now that they're healthy, they... They now can push the pace. I will say that the Thunder had me feeling like, "Wow, have they made this game too fast?" Yeah,
2: that's for true. the
1: Warriors, and I never thought that I would say that ever. That's a good point. Uh, but I mean, if there's one team that could do that, you would probably say the Thunder. Right. Uh, I'm not sure that the Cavs can. Uh, w- what was interesting about it was, you know, it's not that the Warriors aren't good at that. Like we said, obviously that they're completely lethal in transition. But I think there was some combination of, you know, them not making shots that they usually make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if that's happening, those long threes, those pull-up threes in transition, if you miss, that kind of fed the war, uh, the Thunder going back the other way. Uh, and then it takes away the Thunder having to defend that ridiculous uh, warrior, Warriors uh, system for 24 seconds, you know, where they just mash you up, move the ball, get you in terrible positions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a very big calculated risk uh, if that's the way you want to go at them. But, yeah, I wouldn't... That wouldn't be my, my way to go. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, the Warriors are the personification of pick your poison. Right. They really are. Yeah, But... Yeah, that wouldn't be mine. <laughs> if if I'm picking one, that's not how I want to die. No.
2: I I read those comments and I was just like, are you did you watch the Warriors this season, Tyrod? Like, <laughs> I'm going to hope he had some film study since Monday and has realized like don't try to outrun and gun the best shooting team we've ever seen. So, yeah. We'll we'll see where he actually goes. I I do want to bring up one other point about the difference between Cleveland and OKC since you mentioned it. I feel like a lot of people are like, well, OKC really got in the Golden State's head like with their defense. Maybe you, Cleveland can do the same thing. <laughs> but OKC had, I mean, depending on how you feel about Russell Westbrook as a defender, uh, I think we can all agree that he is inconsistent, to
0: mm-hmm. put it
2: kindly. But the other four guys they had in their starting lineup were all plus defenders. Robertson, Ibaka, Steven Adams, and then KD was a freaking animal in these playoffs. Yeah. Like, he was, if he defended like that all the time, there would be no debate between him and Kawhi Leonard as the second best mm-hmm. forward in the league. Like, it, it would be just so clearly KD. Cleveland doesn't have that. Like, they don't have the good defenders in their starting lineup. And even on the bench, it's not like their defenders are long and lanky. Like their best guys, Champ, Delhi, etc., are all below, like six six or below. It's not like they've got a bunch of long limbs, seven footers who are like jumping into passing lanes and deflecting balls and forcing the Warriors yep. into turnovers. So well, that's
1: what bothered. The Warriors, if you ask me, was the length. Yeah, right. I mean, that made them more uncomfortable than I've ever seen them. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like, they, yeah. they just had to think, even for, like, a half second more, like, had to make this mm-hmm. pass. Oh, crap. Like, Kevin Durant has <laughs> little, like, dull seam arms. Like, he could just stretch for <laughs> 11 feet in the air. And, like, I mean, he came mm-hmm. up with some of the most unbelievable turnovers. They, they were, like, Kawhi-esque, where he's just, like, catching the ball like mm-hmm. a fly swatter out of midair. And then. <laughs> turning it you know turning up the court and running transition so i don't know that the Cavs are going to have the same type of defensive success that the thunder did unless it it, it, i think it has to come down more to game plan than athleticism like i think the thunder game planned really well as well not to take Mm -hmm. anything away from billy donovan but their athleticism and their length is what really caused a lot of problems for Golden State. I don't know that Cleveland has that same advantage.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's fair enough to say that we highly doubt <laughs> that they're, they're going to be able to uh, replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, so, prediction time. What do you got in Game 1 tonight?
1: <laughs> tonight. I mean, I want to try and be trendy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Warriors are going to take it. I, I suppose the Cavs could go in there and kind of surprise them, mm-hmm. you know, catch the Warriors exhaling after that series that they just got out of, but I don't really see that happening.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I uh, I mean, last year's finals, the Warriors won game one and then dropped games two and three. So even if the Warriors win tonight, the series is not over by any means. Right. I think the... The reason anyone's going to pick the Cavs is for that, the reason you just brought up, you know, the <laughs> Warriors are coming off like one of the most adrenaline packed seven game series of all time. They just finished it Monday. They're playing two games later.
0: They haven't had as
2: much time to game plan for Cleveland. Um, right. the Cavs have been off since Friday. Is it like they've had a full week off basically. So, yeah, something like that. so they're, you know, they're better rested. Um, ESPN True Hoop, uh, Tom Haverstrow had a video today about LeBron James just being more well-rested in general in these playoffs, and how I think he had played 39 fewer minutes this year than last year, despite playing the same amount of games. So whereas last year he kind of slowed down in terms of his like actual speed on the court, this year it's going straight up. Um, so... There is the chance that maybe, you know, because they've been off for so long and because game two isn't until Sunday, maybe they just say, screw it, LeBron, you're playing all 48 (laughs) minutes. Uh, I just think it's going to take such a Herculean effort to beat the Warriors, especially, I mean, I just feel like they have their confidence back. Like, it seemed like they lost their mojo in the middle of that Western Conference Finals. And like, we we just hadn't seen a team punk them like that in two years. And then Clay caught fire in Game Six. And It was just like, "Oh, pressure's off. We're back. We're <laughs> we remembered how to shoot again." So, yeah, I. Yeah, I. It's just it's ho- so hard to pick against the Warriors ever. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that begs the question: uh, Who do you have in this series overall?
1: Uh, the Warriors. Yeah.
2: <laughs> how many yeah. games? I should say.
1: I've gone, you know, like my initial response was five, but I think I'm going to go six. Okay. Um, I don't know what two games the guys are going to get, <laughs> when or how, but I got to believe they can get at least two. But I hope they do anyway. I want to see a, a long series at least as good as last year yeah. with both teams whole. That would be great. Yeah,
2: that's that. That's all we can really ask for. I love how
1: I just pick, like, wishful thinking. Really. <laughs> I just pick
2: what I want to see. I did the same. Uh, <laughs> no, so I was the exact same way. I, like, I think the second... I I don't even think the the game was over Monday night when I tweeted Golden State in five. So hey, that, yeah. that was... <laughs> And now, you know, I've seen a lot of, like, really smart people or like, Zach Lowe picked them at seven, and I'm just like, yeah, uh-oh, yeah. am I, am I, like, missing something? Am I, like, really underrating what Cleveland brings to the table here? I'm sticking with five. I really, okay. I, you know, I know they're healthy, and I know they took it to six last year, but I really think that, especially Kevin Love, I really think the negatives are going to outweigh the positives. Because he's not, he's not even necessarily consistent on offense. like we saw in games three and four mm-hmm. against the Raptors, like if he's not hitting shots, he's a big liability on both ends. Um, and the Warriors have defenders who are not gonna make his life easy. So I, I'm not convinced that his offensive contributions will outweigh his defensive limitations. And even if they do, like he's not going to score every time. He, you know, they're not going to run the offense through him every single time. But I really think the Warriors are going to run their attack <laughs> through him. They're going to just target him relentlessly. So, unless Tyron Liu is quick to adjust with that, that's a huge concern of mine. Uh, I mean, I I just I just don't know how the I think the the Cavs can keep up with them, like. If they really want to try out shooting them, they've proven throughout the playoffs they can shoot really well. And, you know, they're they're shooting better than the Warriors in the playoffs. But I think Golden State's offense against Cleveland's defense is a much bigger mismatch than Cleveland's offense against Golden State's defense. And I really think that's going to be the difference in this series. So, in honor of Morton, because I'm sure he has an equally <laughs> absurd prediction. No, he actually uh, told me he's got Golden State in six. So I am, okay. I am out on the biggest limb of all here. But <laughs> I'm gonna die on this hill. I really think, I hope, for our sake that uh, that it's a good series. But maybe, maybe all five games are close. The Golden State just sneaks it out in the end. But.
1: Could be, yeah, that Portland series felt better than a five-game series. That's a good so.
2: point, yeah. All right, so we can, we could still hope for a Portland-esque series where... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, I want to, since we haven't done this in a while, we're going to go do our Crush segment, Conference Finals Edition. I'm going to start it off because I have a bit of a homer pick, admittedly, in Billy Donovan, Um. Before the season started for B-Ball Breakdown, we all submitted award predictions, and I tabbed Donovan as my preseason coach of the year. I looked like an idiot for doing that for <laughs> the entire regular season, but then he really showed me something in the playoffs. It, it reminds me of like those early 2000s Lakers, where they just knew they were so good and they could just flip a switch at any time, like, we'll just coast through the regular season and then... Once the playoffs start, we'll turn it on. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what Donovan did. I don't think he was intentionally like tanking the regular season or anything. They still right. won fifty five games. Um, ESPN Royce Young has had a couple really good articles uh, about Donovan throughout the playoffs and kind of how he was using the regular season as like a lab, basically. Like he mm-hmm. he was trying to get a sense of which lineups worked and which lineups didn't. So then when the playoffs came around. He said all right like I've I've seen all of these combinations I know how these types of players work together in game situations I'm not going to kill myself over winning every single regular season game it's more for me to get a sense of my roster so I think we really saw that in the playoffs like I he was a lot quicker to adjust than he was throughout the regular season and the adjustment especially in the Spurs series to that big lineup like that swung the series that was an, yeah. a really impressive adjustment especially for a first year coach like just knowing your roster that well to you know i mean the guy you're going against greg popovich like arguably one of the greatest coaches ever and like by far the greatest one today and i don't want to say you out coached him cuz we talked about this in previous podcasts, like the Spurs roster was just limited in their regard to counter that adjustment. But knowing that that adjustment was out there and knowing the challenges it would, it would present for San Antonio. And then in the golden state series, like figuring out how to use Roberson, that was huge. Like I really thought he was useless after game two and like knowing to pull back on Cantor's minutes, uh, i'm just really really impressed with billy d i don't regret my coach of the year pick i think <laughs> <laughs> it could have could have gone better during the regular season but i think he proved during the playoffs that you know a lot of people are like oh well how how is he any different than scott brooks like i think he pr- proved that during the playoffs i think yeah definitely you know he's he's definitely a really good coach um you know, I'm excited to see what he does with this Thunder team next year, provided that KD comes back and they give it one more shot. Do you have a crush in mind?
1: Well, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't pick Steven Adams because I know you wanted <laughs> to pick him. I did. Uh, a few podcasts ago, and I don't think we got the time for the segment. I would like to crush Steven Adams yeah. with a boulder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the boulder would probably just split in half once it landed on him. Yeah. So. No, I really do have love for Steven Adams and the way he plays the game. Like I said, I didn't enjoy watching him against Tim Duncan, but but uh, I've really grown to appreciate him. Uh, can my crush be like the entire Western Conference final series? Yeah, that, that's That's my crush. <laughs> so I'll just talk about that for a little while. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite part of that series was the way that and it's what playoff basketball does at its finest. It kind of like creates entire mood swings and thought processes mm-hmm. and just throws everybody off multiple times over the course of a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now it kind of went <laughs> ridiculously far with the people after the first few games saying... i told y'all curry's not mvp oh my god yeah curry's not even that good (laughs) don't ever compare curry to you know whatever uh that was amazing but that's part of it like it's fun to watch people lose their minds after every game uh and then to just to the fact that uh you and i talked about this morton said that he still expected golden state to win game six i think he's a liar yeah but uh no, I believe you, Morton, but, uh, you know, you and I, really, I mean, as the game was winding down, I'm still feeling like, okay, see, you know, they've played better, they the momentum is going their way, because they had, like, two air balls that ended up, ended up like, in a big's hands for a putback. Oh, right, <laughs> right. Uh, Russell Westbrook like threw himself back into the defender, I forget who it was towards the end of the third quarter puts up the jump shot and it bounces in and it's a and one you know I was like and everything's just kind of rolling their way and it just I really felt like they were going to pull that one out up until the final seconds probably and that completely opposes everything that I thought all through the regular season mm-hmm. yeah if if the Warriors were down 15, I was sure they were going to win. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, so that to me is just such a testament to how well I mean, both teams played, but especially Oklahoma played. Uh, I'm just I'm grateful for that series. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's fun to kind of ride those waves as a fan. But then, like, if you want to talk about it sensibly – you have to be Odysseus and like tie yourself to the mast and not be drawn out, like because Russell Westbrook is out there singing his right. siren song, you know. <laughs> like, you can't you can't go to it. You got to look at like the series as a whole and and try to look at the overarching uh, themes and and what do you think is going right. to win out. But now nah, it was that was a blast. So I that's like my it. crush. Yeah,
2: I think you know what we should do next year is we should track after every game. Especially like once the conference semifinals, it's conference finals, like what the overarching narrative is after every game, and then just see how it switches. Absolutely. Because you're totally right. Like, <laughs> yes. starting that series, all of us picked the Warriors. And then after game four, I bet all of us, you know, they're up 3 1. It's like, uh oh. The, there goes the Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Like, bye. Like, total waste. <laughs> and now, now all of us are like yep. bowing to the church of Stephen Curry again. Like, it's amazing how quickly perceptions changed in that series
1: it was it was so much fun it would be a great study and like it's like watching massive yeah, right. you know, it is it's like right wow
2: yeah i blame uh skip bayless and Stephen a smith for <laughs> yeah they no, certainly don't help no. they spoke yeah, it that was yeah they definitely uh-huh. uh they forced some hot takes out there but it wasn't even them like some you know a lot of smart people were really really letting loose with some uh sizzling takes so maybe next year we will we will start keeping track of that that we can uh check in every so often on these podcasts with with how the narrative has Mm -hmm. swung that'd be fun well folks that's gonna do it for us at the nba podcast presented by bball breakdown check out dot com for all of your finals coverage we've got a lot of good finals previews up there the my aforementioned post about the cavaliers and rebounding we've got some keys to the series i'm sure we will have recaps of every game uh follow coach nick on twitter at bball breakdown for some in-game vines and all that good stuff sarah it's always good talking to you it's a pleasure all right take care
1: you too
0: you could be saving more money by paying less on interest the USAA Rate Advantage credit card has one of the lowest rates in the industry, so you can pay less and save more. Apply today at usaa.com slash Welcome
1: to Total Wine & More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world.
0: When people talk about Total Wine & More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer see we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere and friendly helpful experts at every turn you know what maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world shop in store or online at totalwine.com. CLEARANCE clearance.